We have been, um, we've been tackling uh, the problem of evil in the world. That's all. <laughs> um, and um, I think it's easily, uh, the more I reflect on it, um, I think it's easily the most challenging problem that uh, we have, whether um, for those who know God or those who don't, um, the evil things that happen in the world and trying to explain them. And uh, for the Christian especially, um, the problem is, is profound um, and a difficult one because the problem of evil um, for the Christian uh, goes something like, since God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, um, what gives? Why uh, does evil still occur? Uh, is God uh, somehow to blame uh, for the evil in the world? Um, and events uh, like uh, the shooting in the Aurora Theater a few weeks ago now, um, whenever those sorts of things happen, you see, at least uh, I found both online and then uh, even in the community of people I know, uh, that kind of question comes to the fore. And so uh, that's why we've been spending a few weeks on it. Um, and we'll uh, wrap it up uh, next week, but uh, at least want to spend uh, this week and next week on it. Um, to, get, um, to get at this question... Uh, last week I invited us to look at um, God um, through the lens or through a window of considering his power only. And um, I also invited us to look at God through the lens or window of considering his love only. And um, I did that and do that full well knowing that uh, God is not only power and that God is not only love. And so it's a bit of a straw man exercise that uh, I've been taking us through. Let's separate them so maybe we can better get at at least some of the difficult questions uh, before putting them together again as I'll try to do that um, next week for you after giving you one more piece this morning. I, um, and I, I suggested to you last week that if we separate God into all power or all love, for lack of a better word, if that's the only lens we're considering, then um, if we're looking at God's power only, uh, I suggested, that might uh, lead to something that I called a, a, a blueprint worldview when it comes to evil in the world. And what I mean by a blueprint uh, worldview is that uh, evil is in the world because it's part of God's foreordained plan. Um, I also suggested to you, though, that uh, if we look at uh, God's love only um, and look at God uh, through that window only, that that might lead to something called a warfare worldview uh, that is, um, there is evil in the world resulting uh, from God's battle with the devil. Now, neither worldview, uh, in my opinion, can stand on its own. 
they need each other, uh, in my opinion, to give us a more complete picture of God. Given um, the time constraints of a Sunday morning message, last week I focused mainly on some challenges um, to the blueprint-only worldview. Next week I'll focus uh, mainly on some challenges to a warfare-only worldview uh, before suggesting uh, a way to bring them together as um, I passionately feel um, uh, needs to be done uh, for us to get a, a more complete picture of God. Um, for this morning, um, I'm going to add something else in the mix, and it's something that both Blueprint and both uh, Warfare, uh, that both the Power and the Love window um, rely on and talk about. And... Um, to get at that, um, another way to talk about the blueprint and the warfare worldviews is to talk about God's sovereignty or control versus the free will of angels, demons, and people. And as far as the blueprint is concerned, that blueprint window where God has, in fact, foreordained uh, everything, including hard and painful things. The blueprint window might suggest to us a, a greater measure of God's control. See, he, he planned it all. Or at least a greater emphasis on God's control in explaining life. In a warfare, well, that worldview might suggest a greater measure or effect of free will to us, or at least a greater emphasis on the role of free will in explaining life. And so we could easily uh, describe the discussion we've been having over the past few weeks as a discussion about the relationship between God's control and people's free will. And we've been doing that and discussing that relationship on its own. It's uh, a worthy challenge. But uh, we've made it even more complicated, or it becomes more complicated, when we throw evil in there. When we're not only deciding and struggling with, well, how does God's sovereignty or control, for a better word, mesh with the real effect of free will, that's hard enough, but how does that mesh in light of evil in the world? I gotta tell you, this one, uh, the past few weeks, um, um, I don't know that I've ever uh, encountered any issue in my life, in my walk with the Lord, that has me uh, wrestling more with it um, than that uh, question. In light of evil in the world especially, where does God's control end? Where does free will begin? Uh, how do they work together? And uh, I, I, again, I think that question is easily the most difficult question about God, about his creation, especially when you try to account for uh, the evil going on in the world. Our, um, the question uh, that I uh, 
borrowed, in fact, and I'm using for the title of the series, Is God to Blame? Is God to Blame for People in the World? Um, that question bumps into that perplexing relationship between God's control and the free will of angels and people because if our picture of God, if when we think of God, it's heavy on his control, the greater control God has, uh, the greater our tendency might be um, to blame God for pain or evil. And the greater the role of free will of angels and people and demons, well, um, if that's predominant or overwhelming or um, the emphasis is there in how uh, we, we picture God, well, then our tendency might be, um, we might have a lesser tendency to blame a, a God for evil in the world. Now, like I said, before I give you uh, my own humble attempt to harmonize as best we can God's control and uh, the free will of angels and people, especially in light uh, of pain and evil, and, um, and let me say this. Be very wary, uh, in my opinion, of any attempt that isn't humble um, in this area. Any attempt in trying to harmonize and completely explain uh, how control and free evil in the presence of evil or, and free will and the presence of evil works. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with many theologians on all sides of this debate that our opinions need to be humble in this area. I'll, I think I've got a quote on the screen. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, Millard Erickson, who wisely notes this, a, a total solution to the problem of evil, he says, is beyond human ability. Um, and I think he's right. I've, um, I've kept that quote um, especially close at hand during this series. But, um, and so before next week, I give you my own humble attempt to harmonize as best we can God's control and people's free will, especially in light of evil. I want to dig a little deeper with you briefly this morning into this idea of uh, free will, um, especially as it relates to love, uh, because those dots uh, connect. This, um, this factor of free will, actually, um, uh, on its own, even, goes a long way to explaining why there's evil in the world. God created people without evil, but with free will. And so free will, it's, it, it can be said, is a part of what makes people human. It's part of what makes us human because we've been given that by our creator, that ability to choose. And um, to cut to the chase, um, given our limited time this morning, what follows is, is humans would not be able to fully exercise this free will. It would uh, go to waste. Uh, they'd be something less or other than human since free will is part of being human. People couldn't fully exercise um, their free will if there was nothing to choose between or among. And in this case, free will wouldn't be possible if there was no such thing as evil. You say, what do I mean? For God, uh, for God to entirely prevent evil, um, he would have had to make humanity other than it is. To entirely get rid of evil today, 
Right now, short of uh, Jesus coming again, that'll do it, by the way, but uh, short of Jesus' return, uh, to get rid of uh, all evil today, uh, God would have to wipe out everybody. He'd have to wipe out those free agents, in effect, so they couldn't choose evil anymore. But we know that's not going to happen. That's not an option because God promised after Noah that he wouldn't do that. And so now as it stands, genuine humanity, as created by God, requires the ability to desire to have some things or to do some things contrary to God's opinion. And it has to be a real choice. And this is because, for reasons that are evident to God, but that we can only partly understand, God apparently felt that it was better to make human beings than robots or androids. And so evil was a necessary component, if you will, of God's good plan to make people fully human, that is, to make free-willed people. Without evil, there's no genuine choice to make. Free will would be pointless and useless. For humans to be genuinely free, there has to be an option. There needs to be a genuine choice to make uh, between God and something else. And the something else is called evil. Without evil, there's not a real choice to be made. You can't choose when there's only one option. Imagine if you um, uh, go out to eat uh, today uh, or sometime this week and the waiter comes to your table and asks, would you like the salad or the salad? Well, there's no choice in that instance, you see. Now that's, um, that's about as short an answer I can give on why there's evil in the world. And I know it's... Uh, it's a heavy on uh, philosophical answer. It feels like one of those questions, you know, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it make a sound? Um, so it's philosophical uh, look at it, but a couple of things on that. God created philosophy, and uh, we can turn to philosophy for some answers, and um, while I don't uh, have the time on a Sunday morning to give you the biblical basis for some of the philosophical stuff we've been working through, I'll never give you or suggest to you as valid uh, in any respect any philosophy that isn't soundly based uh, on the Word of God. So it's a biblical philosophy, but that's about as short an answer I can give you as to why there's evil in the world. There's evil in the world because there's genuine free will, and genuine free will requires a real choice. God created people with the ability to choose. So they need a choice to choose. Now, the Bible's way of describing that choice between good and evil, between God and evil, comes down to uh, this question, which can be phrased a couple of ways. What choice you have is this. What we have is this. Will we or won't we obey God? And because the Bible really equates obedience and love, 
You see this in Jesus' words, for example, in John 14, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience and love in the Bible, boy, same sides of the, or two sides of the same coin. Um, maybe even synonymous in a biblical understanding between obedience and love. Far different, although it includes, but far different than our culture's definition of love is largely feeling-based only. But because the Bible virtually equates those two, we can also phrase that question, will we or won't we obey God? We, can, we could say this, will we or won't we love God? And that's the free will choice that God gives us that each of us makes because we're human and God made us with free will. Will we or won't we love God? And we either choose God by obeying and loving him or we choose evil by not obeying and loving him. And um, God won't force this. It's an amazing thing about our God. He certainly could because he made us and he's the creator. He can do anything he wants. But he won't force us because that's different. Uh, that would be a different God than who he is. Our God is a God who respects our integrity, a form of love. And he won't force the decision, the choice to obey and love him or not. What he will do, uh, like a lover does, is uh, he'll woo us. He'll try to persuade us that uh, we're to obey and love him and freely choose to do so. Um, years ago, uh, there's a video clip I want to show you from a movie called Bruce Almighty. You guys ever seen that Jim Carrey movie? Okay, there's a few left of you. The older I get, the movie examples I use, more and more people in the crowd go, huh? <laughs> it's one way I can tell I'm getting older. But if you recall in the movie Bruce Almighty, um, Jim Carrey plays Bruce, and he's not really thrilled or enamored with the way God is running things, um, in particular because bad things happen. Sound familiar to maybe our question? And Morgan Freeman, uh, who plays God, um, calls Bruce up and says, all right, um, you think you could do better? And Bruce says, you know, in Jim Carrey fashion, Yeah. So God gives Bruce his powers and uh, says, Bruce, go ahead. And there's some funny things that happen along the way, but one scene in particular really uh, uh, catches my attention. And it's a scene where Bruce, who has all the power of God, is pleading with his former girlfriend uh, to love him again. And uh, in that scene, uh, there's a great biblical truth illustrated. Let's watch. I miss you. Okay. I took the first step, jumped out on the ledge. <laughs> Feeling pretty vulnerable, too. I don't know what you want me to say. Just say you love me and you want me back. No, Bruce. Okay, you know what, honey? Let's go. Let's go inside. All right, kids, everybody inside. Time to go inside. Grace, please, none of this seems right without you. <sighs> yeah, I gotta go. 
Wait! Uh, how do you feel now? Have you completely lost your mind? What, are you drunk? Yeah, I'm drunk. Drunk with power. Yeah, I know, free will. Hmm. He's right, yeah, go figure. That scene moves me uh, every time, in particular um, in Amidst the Laughs, where um, we see in Jim Carrey, who has God's power, that real desperation that he has for her to love him again. I think it's a, a very powerful and very accurate picture of um, how our God feels for each of us, whether we know him or not, how desperate uh, he is for our love. Love me. But he won't force it. For God to stop, I've gotten this question from a couple of you, for God to stop every evil act today, people say, why doesn't God stop every evil act today? If he would do that, it, in effect, it would take away our ability to choose. It would, in effect, um, in effect at least, be forcing us to love him and obey him because there wouldn't be any other option not one that would be a real genuine choice that any of us would find attractive. And the other thing it would do is stopping every evil act today would also set us up to come to God only for what he does for us rather than simply for who he is. If God were um, the genie in Aladdin's lamp, for example, I might uh, really grow to love that genie because he did everything I asked him to in the way I expected and gave me things. And suddenly my love for that genie is based on a form of self-love, really, because it's what I can get. And for God to stop every evil act today would be setting us up for our basis of love for him being Self-love. And in light, of, in light of the mystery of just how exactly God's control and our own free will work together, God knows we're going to wrestle with this. It's difficult. God gives us reason to trust him despite the mystery. I picture it being something like God uh, coming up to us, coming up to the people whom he loves and have created, and he says something to them uh, as maybe we wrestle on our knees following uh, a terrible tragedy, an evil thing that has happened in our life, and, and we're wrestling with uh, 
God's control versus free will and why this problem of evil now in my life. And I picture God coming up to us and putting his arm around us and saying something like, still working on that question, huh? Um, Come here for a minute, I picture God saying. And let me show you something that might help you. And he doesn't show us the answer to that confounding mystery to help us out, in my opinion. Not in any detail, not because he's mean, but because, uh, to take us back to our quote, a total understanding of this problem is beyond human ability. In fact, it'd be mean for him to give us the answer if we don't have the ability to understand it. So he doesn't take us off our knees and or meet us on our knees and and give us the answer to that question in every detail and all circumstances to help us. Instead, he says, come, let me show you something that may help you. And he takes us and he walks us to the foot of the cross. And he says, this may help you in continuing to trust, in continuing to love, in continuing to obey, even when you can't fully understand why some evil things happen to you. God gives us Jesus to persuade us to trust him and to love him. Even if um, this mystery doesn't make complete sense to us. It's because Jesus is God entering himself into our suffering to defeat it. And I tell you, if you're looking around uh, for what distinguishes Christianity from any other world religion or other gods ever, maybe some of you are, are seekers today and you're, you're here for the first time um, checking out uh, Christianity. Let me give you one thing that is absolutely unique to the Christian God, and it's truly remarkable because it's only the Christian God who took sin and its evil effects on himself as the solution to the problem of evil. What kind of love does that? And so the basis of our trust and belief that God loves us when we can't figure out completely how it all works with all this evil lurking around yet, our basis to trust God is the cross of Christ. Without that cross, we lose the basis of our faith. It's gone. Without the cross, without God entering the lurking evil and pain with us to defeat it for us and with us, Um, I was talking about this with uh, Pastor Dave Beatty, and he shared uh, this quote with me from uh, John Stott. Uh, I'd like to share it with you this morning um, in closing the message and um, uh, as an introduction to uh, the Lord's Supper and Communion. But here's what John Stott says. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. 
In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That's the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And so if in this series and if in next week when I do try to explain as best I can and God has put my heart how it all works, I won't explain it probably to anyone's satisfaction. I don't know that anyone could. I'm going to try, and the teacher so much wants to be able to, the teacher in me so much wants to be able to do that. But when I can't completely for you, if you still struggle or ever struggle with a, a, a blaming God, despite what anyone's picture or worldview is in an attempt to come and help you, my strong advice to you, uh, in fact, I don't believe you'll ever be truly satisfied with any answer that doesn't begin and end and point ultimately to God's suffering with us and for us to defeat it. Let's pray in preparation for the table. Father in heaven, thank you for being the God who is love. And thank you for reminding us again, even as we now remember and experience again, your presence come to earth to die for us. Father, I ask that in the remembering and experience of who Jesus is, we can see for the lies that they are any temptation that suggests that you aren't powerful enough, that you aren't loving enough, that you aren't good enough. Because those lies are all exposed at the cross of Christ. Father, we love you, and I ask uh, this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.